Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts and uh, going to kind of try to just scratch the surface first and then kind of dive deep and do some work uh, to understand the the 100 verses uh, instead of just the 10. So Acts chapter 7 verse 54 said this, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Kind of an interesting uh, phrase. Uh, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. There is a lot. If you just kind of sit on that one verse, there is a lot of emotion packed into that one verse. Uh, there is a ton of emotion, a ton of feelings just packed into this story that starts in chapter 6 and then bleeds all the way over through chapter 7 here. When they heard these things, we'll talk about what these things are in just a couple of moments, um, but, but for now we just kind of want to sit on the emotion and, and, and feel what the people in the story are feeling. So um, when was the last time that someone did something to you and all of a sudden there was a, this, this, or even not, not even to you, just, they just did something and there was like this flicker of anger in your heart or in your soul. Did that happen to anybody this past week? Anyone? Okay, good. I'm not alone in that. I'm going to confess my sin momentarily. But um, how about this? Uh, somebody somebody not, right, did something. Somebody said something. And all of a sudden, there was this little flicker of anger that kind of stirred in your heart and in your life. See, we kind of know what this is like to... Um, to, to experience a response of anger, or experience a, 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 a response of frustration, experience a response that we kind of wish that we didn't have because we know that's not God-pleasing, and yet still, our response is what it is. Uh, and so that's kind of what's happening in the course of this story. Um, there's a man named Stephen, and Stephen has had uh, some inflammatory things to say. And, uh, and they got angry, really angry, right? Uh, like, angry to the point of, like, they appear mad or crazy, right? They are crazy, mad, angry is what they are. Um, it says that they were enraged at him. Uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure why the ESV says enraged, because the actual language, uh, the actual phrase is cut to the heart. You ever heard that phrase before? Um, I, I assume that, that it's translated enraged because of what they do momentarily, but the actual phrase is that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Um, it's kind of this language that says, um, you feel deeply wounded, right? Um, uh, it's almost like your, your heart is cut in two. Whatever you heard or whatever you experienced just like wounds you so deeply, it feels like a part of you actually kind of dies, um, uh, they are greatly distressed, right? When they hear these things, they are cut to the heart. Um, when they hear these things, they grind their teeth at him. This is such an interesting expression, right? Um, but, but, and, and it sounds weird, but you've done this before, right? You stub your toe, and what do you do? Oh! Right? Your, 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 your fists are clenched, and you're, and you're holding in that yelp, right? Because it's the middle of the night, and you don't want to wake everybody up. This is what they're doing at him. When they heard these things, oh, they are mad. They are angry. And they grind their teeth at him. This verse is packed with emotion and feelings. Okay, so, so let's do a little bit of work, okay, uh, and, and dive into this. Um, who is they? <laughs> they is essentially an angry mob, 
if you didn't pick up on that already, they is an angry mob. And this goes all the way back to chapter 6. And it starts with maybe just as few as like three to five people. Um, uh, the, uh, three to five Jewish men in a Jerusalem synagogue is the setting of the story. Uh, at least three to five Jewish men, right? Not Christian, not disciples. Three to five Jewish men. This is about two years maybe max after Jesus has died and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. Three to five Jewish men in a Jerusalem synagogue, and they were called um, freedmen. It's not a very uh, creative term because all it really means is that these guys were once slaves to Roman citizens, and now they are free, right? It's not a very creative name. They are freedmen, right? That's what happens, chapter 6. And, and, and uh, chapter 6 tells us that these guys are from all over the place. They're from a place called Cyrene, um, just because I'm sure you really want to know, it's about 800 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, they're from a place called Egypt, right? Egypt is about 300 miles away from Jerusalem. They're from a place called Asia Minor, right? That's about 355 miles away from Jerusalem. So these are not locals, but this is, uh, this is why I'm saying it's at least three. It's probably more than that. It's probably like double or even triple that number. But if we're just taking like the locations, the geographical locations, we're probably saying that this is three men who really don't like Stephen or what he has to say. And what they do, right, chapter 6, verse 11, is they secretly instigate other people to stand against Stephen. Um, they stir up the elders and the scribes. That's uh, chapter 6, verse 11, and chapter 6, verse 12. And, and, and we kind of know what this is like because we've either done it or we've had people do it to us. Right? We're standing on a certain position, and we want more people to stand on our position so that uh, we have the louder voice, because in our culture, majority wins, right? Uh, and we want to put that person in the minority. And so these three to five Jewish men uh, in the Jerusalem synagogue, they, they stir up and they secretly instigate more people to stand on their side so that Stephen is alone, this is what happens. We've either done that or we've had it done to us because we want to have the loudest voice or we've been on the minority side and we've felt what it's like to not be the majority voice. Um, so, so now we have to kind of see this, right? It starts with just three to five, maybe as few as that. And now we've probably got a semi-large group and we probably have a group of at least 12, we have to imagine, maybe as many as 50, maybe even as many as 100, standing against one man, one disciple of Jesus named Stephen. And what they do is they drag him before the Jewish Jerusalem Council. Um, this is the same Jewish Jerusalem Council, by the way, that put Jesus to death. We can't miss that fact. This is the same Jewish Jerusalem council that killed Jesus. They is a nasty, cold group that really probably shouldn't be messed with. When they heard these things, um, the disclaimer here is that we could probably talk for a whole sermon series about what these things are. Um, in, I don't know, it's like chapter 7, verse 1, I think, the, the Jerusalem council that Stephen has been dragged in front of, um, they say, hey, is this actually true, what they're saying about you? Um, they're asking Stephen to defend himself. And, and then for 53 verses in chapter 7, he's what? Defending himself. 
And some of the theology that we get in uh, chapter 7 is just like rich, super rich theology. Some of the story that Stephen tells is super rich story. But, but if we just kind of summarize and look at the immediate context of these things, we could say like five different things. Uh, first of all, uh, Stephen has just said, hey, you have the law, right? You've received it from Moses, and you say that you love it, but you don't actually do it. Semi-inflammatory? <laughs> Stephen is standing in front of the Jewish Jerusalem Council, people that love the law of God, people that say they love the law of Moses, and Stephen is saying, you have it, but you don't actually do it. It's chapter 7, verse 53. Chapter 7, verse 52, um, he starts to talk about Jesus, and he says, hey, you killed Jesus, who, by the way, was the Messiah, the promised one of God, the righteous one one, the righteous, not, not the one among the righteous, the righteous one, Stephen calls him. Semi-inflammatory language. Uh, he continues in 752 and says, hey, not only did you kill Jesus, but you killed the prophets. Your fathers killed the, father, uh, killed the prophets. You have a history in your family, in your background of killing people that are supposed to be spokespeople for God. You, you have a history of killing people that, that are supposed to be upholding the law of God and, and, and offering correctives to your life. You go back even further, 751, he says, hey, you resist God just like your fathers did. He says, you're a stiff-necked, stubborn people. <laughs> and then you back up just one more section, uh, chapter 7, verses 44 to 48, and, and he basically says, hey, you guys are trying to limit an unlimitable God. Uh, he's saying, hey, you're trying to limit God to a building, to the temple, and you shouldn't do that because, look, God has sent his Holy Spirit to us, and so God is unlimitable now. He can reach people over there. He can reach people over there. We can connect with God here. We can connect with God there. The building is fine. The building is good, but the building isn't the main thing. You're trying to limit an unlimitable God he says. And, uh, <laughs> and what do they do? They, they grind their teeth at him. Do you see what Stephen is doing? It's kind of like this. Um, he, he's like rapid fire pointing out all the things that they are doing wrong. Have you ever had this happen to you where like, just a rapid fire, like five minute time gap, right? And, and, and somebody is saying, uh, hey, the way that you are doing life is just not right. And, and by the way, let me correct this. And let me tell you about this. Oh, and this is wrong and you're ugly. <laughs> I, I mean, this is what he's doing, right? He says, hey, the way that you are walking is just wrong. It's not right. And he says, hey, um, are you really going to eat that? And, and, and you should not like that. And you smell funny, right? I mean, he's just like rapid fire uh, throwing insults at them and telling them the way that you are doing life and the way that you are living is not good. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed together. They cast him out of the city, and they stoned him to death. 
Um, we have to admit that, uh, that this is a obviously poor and ungodly response. But as we kind of mentioned at the beginning, sometimes we have this response and this gut reaction to something that we just don't really want, but it's still our gut reaction. Anybody have a moment like that this past week? Um, Thursday night, <laughs> I had a moment, right, a reaction to the circumstances of life that I just really didn't want that to be my response, and yet it was still my response. I was uh, at Noah's baseball game, and his team was getting his butt, their, their butt kicked, right? And I'm keeping score, just kind of sitting there by myself, uh, making the X's for strikes and balls and scoring in the other team, scoring all these runs. Um, the lady sitting behind me keeps saying, OMG, which in my house is a big deal. Um, uh, we try not to take the Lord's name in vain. It's the name above all names, and so... So for me, like, it creates a sadness or a sorrow in my heart. I know it's like a culturally acceptable thing right now, but it's not culturally acceptable in my house or according to the Word of God. And so this lady behind me while my team is getting their butt kicked um, is continuously saying, OMG, OMG. I'm driving home from the game, and one of my sons decides to start trying to be the parent. And uh, they start trying to dictate what we're going to do the next day. And I'm like, uh, no, actually, you're not the parent. I get, and then they argue with me, trying to say, no, this is what we're going to do or not do. Can you feel the tension rising in my heart over this? This is like an hour span. Um, I, I get home, right, and we're trying to, like, get to bed. And, uh, you know, this is embarrassing, but I got mad because the White Sox had tied the game. And then all of a sudden, they blew a big lead, and they looked awful. And then on top of that, like, this isn't my child's fault, but all of a sudden he's coughing and he can't stop coughing. I mean, all these things just pile one on top of another, and I was just mad. And Krista got home, and I was like, I'm going for a walk. And it's not a response that I feel was appropriate. It wasn't a loving response to any one of those things. And it's not a response that I feel is very godly. But sometimes we have those moments where something happens and it feels like everything is pushing against you. And all of a sudden you have this response that you don't really care for. You wish you had responded different. But here we are. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. So we've got the response of they, and it's a response that we don't really care for, and yet we can relate to. Um, we've also got the response of this man named Stephen. And, and if you kind of think about this, it's like the extreme contrast. <laughs> if we're comparing the, the responses of the, the, the mad mob with the response of Stephen, it's like extreme opposites. Uh, Stephen is responding to, um, to, to this growing opposition. Remember, it started with just a, sm a few people, and then they instigated and became more. And then all of a sudden, he's being dragged in front of the Jewish Jerusalem council that put Jesus to death. You can feel the tension escalating in his heart and in his mind. Um, uh, on top of that, of course, they're, they're starting to do physical harm to him. They're literally throwing big stones and big rocks at him, trying to kill him. Um, way more, by the way, than anything that I faced on Thursday night. 
And we just have to see that. Um, he's responding to the, to the growing anger and frustration, right? The gnashing of teeth at him, the enraged spirit. And we just have to see that what he does is so incredible. His response is, is, is honestly, like it feels so otherworldly to me. Um, his response is so Christ-like. He's actually quoting Christ from the cross. I don't know if you caught that or not. We're going to talk about it in just a second. Right, this is the response. The response from Stephen is the response that we want, but we often lack. <laughs> and so we pray, Father, bring this response into me. Uh, we pray, <laughs> Father, let your kingdom come into my heart and into my life so I can respond like Stephen does. Um, Stephen is being very Christ-like in this moment. Did you catch what he said? He said this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Instead of trying to control the moment and control people um, like the mad, angry mob was, what is he doing? He submits. He surrenders his life. He surrenders control of the moment over to Jesus. He's quoting Jesus from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? He's being not only Christ-like, he's quoting Christ from the cross. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he says, Lord, do not hold this against them. Instead of fighting back, instead of resisting, he prays for them. He doesn't just pray for them. He's asking for them to be forgiven, for them to be released from whatever sin they are committing. He is being extremely Christ-like, and this is the response that I long for. It's the response that I would love to see in my own heart. So we see the response of they, the angry mob. We see the response of, of the, the faith-filled response of Stephen, and then we have to just kind of celebrate for a moment the response of, of Jesus. Because let's not forget, this is not just really about you and how you're responding. This is about what Jesus is doing in the moment. So, so don't walk out of here and say, man, I just need to fix my response. It's fine if you say that, but I don't want you to just stop there, right? I also want you to see and raise up and celebrate the response of Jesus. Because what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's giving Stephen this incredible gift. He's giving Stephen this incredible grace-filled moment. Right? Stephen isn't um, being uh, attacked. He's not being stoned by these people and saying, Oh, Lord, let me see you. No. Jesus just opens up the heavens and given, gives him this incredible glimpse into what's happening in heaven. Here's what he says. He says, he, says, uh, he gazed into heaven and he saw the, the glory of God. Um, glory, we've talked about it in a lot of different ways. Um, glory means excellence. Um, uh, glory is God's holiness on display. It's the same thing that we saw in Isaiah chapter 6 last week, right? Uh, holiness is, is like, um, uh, holiness means distinct or separate or, or completely other. So um, God's glory is the holiness of God on public display. So, so uh, in, in other words, Stephen is seeing something that you shouldn't see. He's seeing something that is completely different and completely distinct and completely separate from anything else that he's ever seen before that you and I probably have ever seen before either. He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. 
And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Um, some scholars make a really big deal out of this, and I'm not a scholar, so I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but just see this, right? Um, uh, that, that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. That's a big deal in some ways because, uh, because Jesus said that when he, uh, when he goes up to heaven that he would be, what, sitting at the right hand of God. Um, and even in the book of Acts, some of the sermons that we've already heard in the book of Acts has said that uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God. And so some uh, commentators, some scholars kind of make a big deal out of this and say, why is Jesus standing? And they make a couple of guesses, and I think both are really helpful to us in our moments of, uh, of frustration when it feels like everything is pushing against us. They make a couple of guesses that might help us in the moments when, when we feel kind of isolated and alone and it feels like there's this growing opposition and this growing force against us. They say two things, that number one, maybe Jesus is standing so that he can welcome Stephen into his presence. It's a good practice, just hospitality, when somebody walks into your house that you stand up and you welcome them. Maybe Jesus is standing to welcome his son Stephen into his presence. And maybe he's standing um, to testify or to witness on behalf of Stephen. Um, Jesus is called an advocate in Scripture. And so as an advocate, right, he would be standing up and he would be testifying. He would be witnessing to God the Father Almighty, this is my son Stephen. I died on the cross for him. I rose from the dead to give him new life. Look at what he's been doing. Let's welcome him into the kingdom. Um. I don't know if either of those are accurate. I don't know if it's a big deal that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. But, but I know this, that what matters is that in the moment of suffering, Jesus shows up. Amen? In the moment of suffering, Jesus shows up. He doesn't leave Stephen to himself. He doesn't leave Stephen um, uh, to, to defend himself. Jesus shows up in the moment of suffering. In the moment of frustration, in the moment when everything is, is, is moving against him, Jesus shows up. And he lets Stephen see him in a whole fresh new way. And what Stephen sees just radically changes his heart and his mind in the moment. Um, the story does a couple of things for me. Uh, number one, and you heard it earlier, right? It kind of moves me to repentance. <laughs> kind of helps me to, to look at my own response in the moment and, and the way that I responded or, or the way that I respond to things and say, is this the response that, that Jesus would have me respond with? <laughs> is this how Jesus wants me to respond in the moment? And very often the answer is, uh-uh. <laughs> And so it pushes me to repent and to say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I responded that way. Will you, will you please let me just see you so that I can respond in a way that's more better, more appropriate, more pleasing to you? Um, on the other hand, it, it kind of moves me to, to just pray, uh, Father, let your kingdom come. It's what Jesus taught us to pray. But man, if, if I had just like paused or even prayed on the way home on Thursday night, Father, let your kingdom come into this moment. Let your kingdom come into my heart. It would have probably reframed uh, the way that I was 
behaving, the way that I was embracing the moment. Father, let your kingdom come. This is what Jesus does. Stephen's not even asking for it. He just lets his kingdom come in a very powerful, very real way to this one man named Stephen in his moment of suffering and frustration when everything was pushing against him. Um, Jesus brings the kingdom to allow Stephen a a response that feels otherworldly. Um, and then the third thing that it really does, so it moves me to repentance. It, it pushes me to pray, Father, let your kingdom come. And, and then the third thing that this really does for me is it just gives me this great certainty, this great hope um, that, that, that in the moment of frustration, in the moment of anger, in the moment when it seems like everything is pushing against me, guess what? We've got a Jesus that's standing at the right hand of God. And he's doing something, y'all. He's working. He's moving. It just kind of reframes the moment, right? Uh, To know without a shadow of a doubt that you've got a God who's alive, you've got a God who's active, and he's working on your behalf. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for, for showing yourself. We thank you for showing up in the, in the moment, uh, the moment of frustration and the moment of anger, the moment of craziness. You're just there. You show up. You bring your kingdom in a fresh new way to this man named Stephen. We ask that you would do that for us. Uh, maybe it's this kind of big dramatic vision where we actually get to see the heavens opened up and we see what you're up to. Uh, maybe it comes through a, a song or maybe it comes through your word or, or maybe it just comes through peace-filled uh, Holy Spirit gift. But uh, however it comes, we, we ask that you would bring your kingdom, um, that you would change the way we respond to the moment that you would change and alter the way that we uh, respond in our moments of frustration, in our moments of loneliness, in our moments of, of, uh, of, of sadness. Would you allow us to see you and experience you and to be confident and certain that you are standing at the right hand of God, working, uh, working to help us, working to welcome us, working to advocate for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.